It's Passover week. The disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. It's been an eventful week. You had James and John in the Samaritan village trying to call fire down from heaven to to wipe people out. Jesus saying, no, it's not the way we do it. You had same James and John saying, when you come into your kingdom, let me sit on your right and, and the, so, you know, power dynamics going on. Then you have a blind man whose eyes are opened and he begins to follow Jesus. And, and they're all making their way into Jerusalem. Now, Passover, you could have like 300,000 people. I feel like I'm really loud. I'm good? Okay, I'll just ignore myself then. <laughs> you could have like 300,000 people in this, in this city, and it made Rome nervous. So, so you had Pilate and Herod Agrippa bringing the Roman troops into one side of the city into this fortress, the Antoni- Antonius Fortress, I forget the name of it. But it was on this hill that could look down into the temple and kind of keep check on everything. So you had the soldiers, and I'm imagining them riding in on their stallions, you know, with their shields, and, you know, you've seen the movies, you know, a big procession coming in, making a, making a, a statement, don't come up against Rome. We are stronger than you are. On the other side of the city, you have Jesus, coming in on a donkey, the, the, the symbolism of being a, being a humble servant, not power. But he has all these followers that are, that are going with him. And just a few days earlier, he had told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And I think it was Thomas who said, well, let's go with him so we can die too. I mean, what is going through the disciples' minds at, at this point in time? I suspect they were a little bit encouraged when they saw everybody with the palm branches and stuff. Maybe they would have preferred swords, you know, but, you know, (laughs) Jesus is riding on the donkey and everything's kind of exciting and and that's where our text starts today. Can we put up, we're in Mark chapter 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. Now, what that means is he, he went, Herod had built this temple to be like 32, 36 acres. Huge. I don't know, my yard when I was growing up was about an acre, so I, I have that in my mind, you know, about how big that was. We had a field outside of my house that was 10 acres, and, you know, I would ride my motorcycle around. It was, it was a sizable field. 30, over 30 acres, this temple complex is. And Jesus comes in past these ceremonial baths. Think of, think of like a baptistry thing. And, and people would go and they would wash, sometimes from the journey, but sometimes ceremonially to, to be clean. And then they would go through these tunnels, up these steps, into the court of the Gentiles. Huge area. I'm guessing, you know, an eight-acre space where all these people are 
together. So Jesus comes into the city. He has his throngs walking with him, and they enter into the temple courts. And he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Then he said to this tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts again and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. The chief priest and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came and Jesus and his disciples went out of the city, well, when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city, period. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt, does not doubt in there, is that the end of it? If you don't doubt, it's going to happen, okay? To understand what's going on, I th- we, need to, we need to back up a little bit. You know, Jesus goes into the temple courts the first night, and it's probably not much has changed since the last time he was there. There are people selling stuff. It's, it, it's a big marketplace. But it says it's late, so he goes back out to his, his friend's house, Lazarus and Mary, and you, you remember them, Lazarus he had raised from the dead. Um, Mary was, and Martha were, had gotten into it about should I sit and listen to Jesus or should I wait on tables? You know, so there was that whole dynamic thing going on. Probably, they were probably wealthy because it was a big enough house to house all of the, of the disciples and stuff. So Jesus goes back out and he's with his friends and you wonder what he's thinking. There's so much that's not said. Did he go in and did he decide the night before what he was going to do the next day? Did he talk to his disciples about it? Okay, when, when we go in there, spread out, you know, we're not going to... Or were the disciples like, whoa, what's going on? He said that we're going to be killed, and I guess this, he's kicking it off, you know? What's going through the disciples' heads as this thing is going on? But regardless of what was happening, Jesus knew tomorrow was going to be a big day. wonder how he slept. When you have a big day coming up, do you, do you sleep good I, I usually don't. You know, I'm thinking about what, what might happen. I want to talk about thin, thin places. 
thin places. Matt's talked about this before. The Bible is full of places where people encounter God, and certainly the temple was one of those places for, that people would go to encounter God in some special way. You know, four, was it three or four, major feasts through the year where the Jewish people would gather and, and have these ceremonies and remember God in some special way. And it meant something to them. It was something different than just sitting at your house and doing it. But Jesus, God has always created these spaces where he wants to be with us all the way back to the garden walking, uh, you know, with Adam and Eve. Wouldn't that have been cool? In the cool of the day, God shows up and takes a stroll with you. That had been pretty cool. But then you have Abraham, and God in Genesis 12 shows up and, and um, says he's going to bless him. And Abraham builds these altars, you know, these stacks of rocks that he put around different places where the people would pray to remember that he had encountered God there, to teach his kids that God had shown up in this place. You had the um, Samaritans. Remember when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well? And, he, and he, uh, she says to him, should we worship in this mountain like our fathers did? And she's referencing these piles of stone that Abraham and Isaac and uh, Jacob had, had set up through the area to remember God. Should we worship here or should we worship in Jerusalem like you Jewish people say we should do? And Jesus says, the day is coming when you won't worship here or in the mountain. But God's looking for people who worship in spirit, in truth. God's looking for a relationship with you. Or think about Abraham, he, he, when he uh, is asked to sacrifice Isaac. Troubling story for me. I, I, I really have to I struggle with, with that whole encounter. But that place where he did that is where they built the temple. This is, this is the foundation, the stone that he allegedly nearly sacrificed Isaac on is called the foundation stone. Tradition says it's God used it to create the world. I, you know, how do traditions get started? I don't, I don't know. But this is the place that's in, in the temple. This is the stone where the Ark of the Covenant set for a time. Um, let me keep going. So God calls Moses, burning bush, another thin place where God encounters uh, Moses. Some people think that was on the same mountain. It's, it, it has Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai, and some scholars think it's, it's the same place. But Moses says, don't, go, don't send me to deliver the Israelites unless you go with me. And Moses set up this thing called the, the tent of meeting. And the tent of meeting was a special place where the, God's presence would settle. There would be this, you know, cloud, smoke sort of thing. And Moses and uh, his assistant, who was his assistant? Um, no. Joshua, that's the word I'm looking for, thank you, would, would go out to the tent of meeting and Moses would talk to God in, in some special way. And then the scripture says Moses would go back to the camp and 
Joshua would stay there, you know, like hungry for this presence of God. You ever hit seasons in your life where you're hungry? It's like, God, just show up. Tell me what's going on. This is the place that Moses could do that. And then Moses receives the Ten Commandments, and he receives instructions about the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was sort of the same thing, the place where it represented God's presence, but God moved this meeting place from the edge of the camp to the center of the camp. That's significant. All the, the tribes of Israel put their tents around the, the tabernacle, and it's symbolic of God wanting to be central, wanting to be near his people. Time goes on, and Solomon builds the temple. And you have, well, even in the tabernacle, you had the holy place and the holy of holies. And in this holy of holies, in um, the tabernacle, was the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark, what, anybody remember what was in the Ark? Let's make this interactive. What was in the Ark? Ten commandments, the, the two stones with the commandments on it. Anything else? Aaron's rod, Aaron's rod that budded. Wonder how long it budded, huh? Jar of manna. The the Urim and Thummim, I think is how they say it. The, the the stones that the priest used to determine what does God want. Wouldn't you like to have that? Dice, huh? dice yeah. Holy dice. Holy, there you go. So, so they dedicate they dedicate Solomon's temple, and when they do so. The scripture says that the smoke got so thick that the priest couldn't do their thing. And they, they interpret that as, as God's presence was so thick, it, it, it was tangible. You could like nearly touch it. So then the, the, the Israelites do their thing. You know, they, they worship false gods, they... they they turn their back on God, and God brings the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and, and destroys the whole thing. And then uh, Nehemiah is over, you know, the cupbearer with the, was it Cyrus was the, the king, I think, and he's saying, I'm so sad. And Cyrus says, well, let me help you go build the temple. And he gives him back some of the stuff that had been looted when Solomon's temple was, was destroyed. So Solomon's temple's destroyed, the gold's gone, the, the um, ark is gone, the, the, rose, the stick, the rod of Aaron thing is gone, the manna's gone, it, it's all gone. There's, there's some gold trinkets left, a lot of gold, but there's gold left. And the king gives some of that back to Nehemiah and Ezra, and they go back and they, and they build the temple. It's important that Darius and Cyrus appointed who would go back and build, who had access to the resources. So you have this king kind of directing religion, God's stuff. So they go back, Ezra builds the temple, Zerubbabel builds the temple, it's in the book of Ezra, Zerubbabel builds the temple that eventually becomes Herod's temple that we're going to talk about today. And they, sac they sacrifice all kinds of animals and they have a big event when they dedicate 
the temple of Zerubbabel, the temple of Herod. But it never says that the Spirit of God descended on that place. It's an argument from silence. Maybe it happened and we're just not told. But they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't have this thing that represented God's presence. In the Holy of Holies, there was this rock, the foundation rock, that had a lot of history to it, but the stuff wasn't there. So then you have, so you have the temple set up, second temple, this is, they, sometimes they call it uh, second temple um, Jerusalem, what am I, second temple theology, second temple Judaism, that'll work, I like that. Uh, and so, so it, it changed, it was different than the first temple system. And what we're trying to get at is, is why and how. So a few years go by, and then uh, Alexander the Great, 363, I think, 360s, comes through and, and conquers Egypt and Palestine. Is, you know, they, they, he conquers it, kind of lets them stay, but imposes uh, Hellenization, imposes the Greek system on it. And so for several uh, you know, a couple of hundred years before Rome comes, they're trying to Hellenize the people. And there are some people that are saying, we're not having any of this. We follow God, and we're not going to get sucked into all of this Greek stuff. Eventually, Rome comes, and they start lose, Greece starts losing power, and they start getting more forceful. And one of the, of the leaders, why do iPads turn off when you ignore them. Um, so then uh, Antiochus, Antiochus, anyway, 167 BC, he decides that he's going to set up uh, an altar to Zeus in the temple on this foundation rock, goes into the Holy of Holies, and it's the desecration of the temple. So uh, this really ticked off the Jewish people, uh, even the kind of secular Jewish people. It's like, we're not having, having this. And this is when Maccabees comes to power and then rededicates, rededicates the temple. Um, but again, this is Herod's temple. There's been no smoke, no ark, no stone tablets, no Urim Thummim, no manna, Aaron's rod, and to read history, it looks like a bunch of opportunists using religion to manipulate the Jewish people. So the Jewish people had to decide, are they going to become Hellenized and, and follow, fall into the system? Or are they going to be purist and, and try to follow God? Um, and this is where we get the different parties that, that came to be. You had... Um, Well, let me do this in, in order. I'll back up just a little bit. The temple in Herod's day for the common folk was a thin place. It was a place that they would go to to encounter God. But other people had, 
had a different agenda for, for the temple. Herod, for example, Herod the Great, he, Herod the Great died about the time Jesus was born. So he had his sons uh, ruling the area there. But Herod the Great had been a, a builder. And he built uh, coliseums. He, he built theaters. He built roads. He built aqueducts. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing the effects of Herod and, and power. And in a sense... He was, was a great ruler. He brought prosperity to, to the region. He was a harsh ruler. He killed his sons. He killed his wife. Uh, or one of his, I forget how many wives he had, killed one of them. He was ruthless, but he kept control. And his crowning achievement was this temple. So he took Zerubbabel's temple, which was about 17 acres, and, and built up the platforms to, again, the 34, 36 acres. I forget the number. And this was his crowning, was his crowning achievement. But he didn't do it because he loved God. He did it because he was trying to appease the Jewish people, keep them happy, so that uh, he could rule the area. He was a very, very wealthy man. I read that he had seven palaces in the, in the region, and all of them were bigger than the Caesar's palaces back in Rome. So there was this kind of competition going on between uh, Herod and, and the Caesars. But he wasn't a, you know, a, a moral person. And you, you wonder if Jesus had partnered with Herod all that power, all that money, the systems in place. He knew how to, how to get people to do what he wanted. He had the resources to do it. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus hardly mentions Herod at all. One time calls, I think it was his, referring to his son, an old, you know, that old fox kind of thing. But there's hardly a reference to Herod. So Herod is, is one of the power brokers in this time when G, I can do this all day and I shouldn't. Um, G, the, um, Herod's one of the power brokers. The Pharisees, when it came time to, to Hellenize, said, no, we want to do things. They were kind of like the back to the Bible movement. We're going to do things like, like uh, we did in the past, and they resisted the Hellenization. The Sadducees had kind of embraced Hellenism. They had said, um, we can use these, these resources. In fact, the priestly system, the priests were appointed um, by Herod, by the political establishment. There were like two competing systems. There were the, the, the Jewish affirmed priest, and then there was the Roman affirmed priest. But Caiaphas... Uh, was, was the high priest at that time, and he was uh, a Sadducee. And it kind of sold out to Rome in a way. Remember, he says, Jesus better die or the Romans are going to come and take our power from us. He was very much about combining the, the political and the religious system. And then you had the Essenes. The Essenes back in, in the Maccabee period... Um, had said, the city's too corrupt. 
we're leaving. And they went out by the Dead Sea. And, you know, you remember the Dead Sea Scrolls they found in caves out by the, by the Dead Sea. The Essenes are, are a community that decided to separate and wait for the Messiah to come. So they're saying, one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to fix all of this. And you think about Jesus had all of these options. He could have followed, he, could have, he told his disciples to follow him and he could have led them out to the desert, to the caves, and said, we're going to separate from all this. But he didn't. He could have said, the, we're going to be like the Pharisees and, and call out good and evil. And we're going to uh, make, make things that are... Um, create a, a sort of a class system, create a, a caste system where there are the religious people and there are the unreligious people and we're better than the others. But Jesus was, kind of, was not like that either. He wanted to do things God's way, but he was also very inclusive of the people, intentionally going to the marginalized, to the women, um, to the tax collectors, you know that story. But Jesus had his own way. He was calling his disciples to follow him. And this day, he takes them to the temple. He's not against religion. He participated in the synagogues. He participated in the temple system. And yet he had a problem with it. So the, our passage says... First of all, he, he goes to the, to the fig tree, and there's no fruit on it. And it says it's because it's not the season for the, for the fig. This is, this is a judgment. Mark put this story of the fig tree on both sides of the temple to illustrate the temple system was coming to an end. It wasn't bearing fruit. It was corrupt. It was aligned with the political powers of the day. And Jesus is, is about to confront it. So on the way to the temple, he says, there's no fruit in this. And he curses it. No fruit will come from you again. That's like future tense. And he goes into the temple. And you notice he goes up into the courts where the buying and selling is. Now, what, what, do you remember some of the courts? We had the courts of the Gentiles, and we had the court of women, and then you had the court of Israel, and then you had the uh, holy place where the priests could go in and, and do their sacrifices. But the place that people were selling things were the courts of the Gentiles and the courts of the women. And Jesus is upset because these people, the religious establishment, had made it so that it was hard to come to God. They were obstructing people. They were making it difficult for people to come to God. And Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That word means people, all people groups. That's what Jesus was, was upset about. And notice that he... Um, he turned over the tables of the money changers. People want to say, oh, Jesus was violent here. 
And the scripture's a little bit silent on it in the sense that it says he overturned the tables and let the doves out and wouldn't let people cross. How do you stop people from crossing eight acres? I don't know. One person? You know, so, so read, read the scripture. I always picture like this small room, like the size of this room, and Jesus is upset in a place, this, but eight acres, okay? He, he's, and this is why I wonder, did he work with his disciples? Or is this, or is this hyperbole? Jesus is upset about something, and he doesn't want people to exclude others. Uh, sometimes I think perhaps we read it too literally. But he overturns the, 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 table, um, the tables of the money changers. Um, the temple was under the guidance of the Sadducees who were in league with Rome, uh, and it had essentially become an economic institution. Um, not only were they selling things there, but it, it was, industry was there. Curtain makers, people who, uh, um, camping supply, you got, you got 300,000 pilgrims coming. They need food, um, incense, barbers for the, remember Paul coming and doing the uh, uh, oath thing and, and got his hair cut there. Goldsmiths. Uh, there, it, it, was, it was a business instead of relating to God. And Jesus is saying, no, this is, this is to be a house of prayer for everybody. And then he overturned the, the tables or the chairs of, of the dove sellers. Doves were used. They were the poor man's sacrifice. So here again, Jesus is showing a deference for, for the poor. Women who uh, had their monthly cycles needed a dove to... Um, to, for a ritual cleansing. Lepers needed this. So, you know, a leper, if you're a leper, how much money are you going to have? You know, so he's, he's confronting a system that has excluded people. The religious system, the religious system had failed. And Jesus was, re was replacing it, fulfilling. He was fulfilling the, the, what Scripture had said. Um, he was fulfilling the, the law and the prophets. Um, in Acts 2, you're going to see, you're going to see the Holy Spirit come and indwell the people. So we talked about these thin places. God walking with Adam and Eve. God coming to um, the the to the patriarchs. God establishing a place in the temple. And now he's he's going one step further. He's coming into our hearts. So in a sense, we take God with us uh, wherever wherever we go. We are priest of a new covenant. We are the, the building of, of a new uh, temple. Uh, the cloud of his presence, in a sense, moves with us when, when we go. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. The temple, the law and the prophets, their time had been, had been fulfilled. Uh, and that's when we go back to the... To the um, 
fig tree. Rot it from rot it from the roots. And now God says, there's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer um, male or, or female. There's, we're all one. And God is, God is in us and wanting to work through us. So our, our work now is to learn to release that spirit that lives within us, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Now we could be, you see all these parallels. We could be like the Essenes saying, you know, one day Jesus is going to come back and fix everything. But instead, Jesus empowers us now to be his hands and feet. He has given us the Holy Spirit to, uh, to walk in this way that he taught and that he modeled uh, for us. So God, the, the, the point of this lesson today is God pursues you. God loves you and pursues you. And when things get in the way of you following Jesus, he's going to intervene to try to remove some of those barriers. And when we are uh, ambassadors of this way, ambassadors of the new kingdom, this is our role to make it easy for people to come to God. If there are systemic things that are preventing people from coming and seeing Jesus, Jesus got upset with religious people. He's pretty patient with other people. But with religious people who made it hard for others to come to God, he got upset. The point of religion is to draw us close to God. And when it stops doing that, something needs to change. We've seen that through history. Um, you see it here with the, the Jewish system had gotten corrupted so people couldn't see God. And God intervenes and says, no, it's not going to be this way. We saw it with the Catholic Church. Uh, at the time of the Reformation, you know, when they're selling indulgences and the Protestant Reformation happened and said, no, that's, that's not right. Many times the majority are not right. The crowd, just because most people are shouting crucify him, doesn't mean we should crucify him. Just because most of the people are saying, let's go back to Egypt, doesn't mean we should go back to Egypt. So just because we hear loud voices in the church saying, we should all do X, make sure that the religion that we're following is drawing us closer to God and not becoming a barrier to people encountering God. God loves you. God is pursuing you. God is pursuing our neighbors. We are the salt and the light. God has given His Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And we take that with us out into the world. But what does it mean to be salt and light? I think it's more than just telling people Jesus died for their sins and come to my church. 
It's got to be more than that. We should be change agents of our society. We should be following the way of Jesus. Setting the prisoners free. Sight to the blind. Good news for the poor. Are we good news for the poor? On my good days, maybe. It's hard, isn't it? And it's a journey. So step by step, we figure it out together. And we try to be more and more like Jesus. We're about to enter into a time of communion. Communion is one of those thin places. It's supposed to be. supposed to be one of those altars, those stacks of rocks. This thing set up to remind us. Jesus has a way that he's calling us to live. And we need to... Are we? Do we feel God's love... Do we feel Him pursuing us? This is, is intended to be a thin place where God can uh, challenge us, love us, redirect us. Uh, many times it can be just a habit. Oh, it's communion time. But if you would think about it as a thin place, a place where you can encounter God and ask Him, are we doing okay? And I suspect you're going to hear love come back to you. On the night He was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and He broke it. He said, eat this in remembrance of me. In like manner, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you because of your sin. Drink this in remembrance of me. Our Lord loves you. He indwells you. And He wants to bless our community and our world through you. So go in peace and be the blessing that God's called you to be. Thank you.